back to the Brown Paint Podcast, everyone. Today we have Roshan Noshad, also known as Daisy Boy on Instagram, who is a social media content creator, lifestyle blogger, and activist for embracing and encouraging self-acceptance and acceptance of others. How beautiful! Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, Rosh and I have been friends for a while, and this has been a long time coming, so it's really exciting. You're on mute, by the way. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm not very... Oh, there we go. It's back on. Um, hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, being invited onto this platform, um, you know, being invited to this conversation. And thank you for this great opportunity. I really appreciate it. Brown paint or my yeah. friend, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so... I just want to talk about your life story. You have a very interesting one. So today we're going to learn all things Daisy Boy. Where okay. did Daisy Boy, I mean, Roshan, <laughs> where, <laughs> where were you born? Tell me um, the beginning of your story. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was born in India, um, in Old Delhi. Um, and so I was there from like 1998 to 2002 and then I was adopted in 2002 so um, I was adopted by two Australian couple uh, my mom and her husband um, and then I I basically grew up in Australia uh, all my life since then and it was a bit of a weird transition because um, I had to learn a new language um, I had to learn the new uh, customs of the country and the way that people did things. And, you know, as a kid, you know, you absorb everything so quickly. So like learning English was super easy at the time. Um, but when you grow up, it's a little bit harder to learn a new language. Um, so I picked up things quite quickly. Um, I did Steiner school for uh, the early years of my education. So I did Steiner kinder and then I did Steiner primary school up until grade two and then I went into mainstream the reason I changed over which now I regret actually is because um it really allowed me to be myself um Stein is a great form of education uh and it helps children develop in their own time in their own way and it's all learning through visualization and creativity and play so it's not your um traditional um tertiary education where you sit down and you read a book and you have to put you know pen to paper kind of a situation you do it through um colors and and music and song and so it was a really great way for me especially as an adopted kid at that time learning a new language grasping a new vocabulary skill um it was really fantastic because even then I was very vocalized um in my actions in terms of being creative love to paint love to draw love to dance and so my mom obviously you know saw that that would be a best fit for me and then when I transitioned transitioned into mainstream education system I now looking back and at the time as well I decided I had made a mistake but it would already been too late by then um I'd already you know made some friends and I was okay with it um but it's a, I found it a lot more trickier um and I did have to do kindy twice um in this uh in the same level um due to my uh ability to you know have to learn English um at the same rate as everybody else because at that time all the kids spoke English and I was still learning so my mum gave me that extra year to you know stay at kindy and learn all that stuff so um but that period you know my my mum helped me 
stay in my culture. So I did Mohiniyattam Indian dance um, and I did that up until I was five years old. And in that, in that community, it allowed me to make friends that looked like me because everyone else in my life outside of that circle didn't. And everyone else was Aussie. I went to kids uh, school with kids that didn't look like me. Um, so it was great to have that safe space where I could feel like I was belonging um and my mommy really like helped me find that space um and allowed me to do that because she knew how much my culture meant to me even at that early age I was always very vocal about you know being a part of my culture so yeah wow oh my gosh I don't think I knew you went to Steiner school I did yeah but I also um I used to dance and do Mohiniyat and practices and rehearsals at Erasmus I don't know if you know that school but Erasmus is also another form of Steiner uh, system education so it's a, again it's that same dance-based um creative um drawing and music and uh, visualization learning um and also the actual school themselves um their dance school or their dance lessons um, or the institute or whatever actually taught Mohiniyatam. So it was a very inclusive school um, because there was a lot of South Asians at that school um, and it was very diverse. Um, they allowed that uh, form of dance to be taught at the school as well. So that's why I was so successful in um, my development, but also um, I'm sure the other kids as well, because it was so inclusive. Wow. Gosh, that sounds incredible. And I seriously wish I went to an alternative school or Steiner school or something because I felt like my schooling experience, I really struggled. Like I think it was it was so hard to just absorb information through textbooks or whiteboards or just listening for me. I was always such a creative kid like you. Um, I feel like really robbed of my talents because I feel like I could have gotten so much more out of myself if I went to a Steiner school being a creative kid. And I feel like being a parent that can um, identify your kid's talents at a young age and identify especially a creative kid um, is really important because um yeah so like the fact that your mum could like see what you needed as an individual and think okay we're gonna put him into a Steiner school is like props to your mum like that's that's amazing um what age sorry I think I missed it what age were you adopted at so I was four so it was in October um of 2002 so I was adopted um at Holy Cross Orphanage. So this is an orphanage that um, obviously, you know, tons of children come into the doors and they obviously are either um, street children or they're children that have been linguished or children that have been found on the street. Um, and so basically, you know, you know, the, either the police drive around in that in those local areas in the precinct um, and of their particular um establishment and they go and find these children that could possibly be homeless um and in my case I was I was found on the street um as a three-year-old child and so then the police saw obviously then me little baby um and picked me up and so that's how that whole process worked out and so they make a file report they get a photo of the child and and from there they're able to determine um you know how to best formulate a story in order to put the child up for adoption or all that sort of stuff. So it's quite complex, but it sounds quite easy when I'm explaining it. I'm not really saying it in a um, in a complex way, but it's 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 it happens so quickly, but it's very, very complex because 
you know, although India is still developing in terms of um, file keeping, um, they very, it's still corrupt, you know, and so a lot of files go missing. And in my case, still, I still don't have a lot of my files either, whether it's um, lack of um, upkeep or just lack of evidence to hold within the file of my particular case. But a lot of children, sometimes they go and when they turn 18, because when you turn 18, you get to find, you get to actually have a, uh, a letter or a document that describes everything about the processes of your adoption. And so sometimes children don't find any information in there. Um, sometimes they find everything they need. So it just depends on the individual child of what, who and what took place in that moment of when the child was picked up to when the child was being adopted. So it's very, very complicated. And in my situation, I don't have a whole lot. It's more just memory for me um, that I have two older siblings that were sisters and then an older brother. So I was one of four kids. My mother had four children. Um, my elder sister, she was married off. Um, and then everything else leading from there, I have no idea. So it's more just recollection and memory that I know. And so that whole process has always been, and that memory has always stayed with me because it's a really big deal for me. And I look forward to hopefully one day finding my family in the future. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, that was my, that was going to be my next question. Do you remember, like, how much of India do you remember? And um, yeah, 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 how much? Um, yeah, so I would say, um, I'm, I'll say a few things that I, um, on here, but I may not say everything, but yeah, it's, 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 I do remember quite a lot. It's definitely with just like landmarks, you know, I know that I was, my family would live near the Yamuna River. I know that we lived near a mango tree. I knew that we lived, um, you know, almost like a flat land kind of landscape. Um, I almost drowned as a baby. And so my elder sister, she saved me from one of the monsoon seasons that we were having. Um, and so I remember all of that. And as a child, you usually don't, as an adult, you don't think that a child could remember all that. But some children do withdraw their um, trauma. And then other children work in a different way where they do withhold or, or do remember their um, lived experiences and do want to uh, try and maintain that memory because it's a part of who they are. So every child is so different and every trauma is dealt differently. So for me, I've remembered it and that's not by choice. It's just how my genetic and my makeup brain chemistry works. And so I'm actually very grateful that I remember it, although it be traumatic. I'm just glad that I can remember those bits and pieces of my birth family um, because I know a lot of kids who are adopted don't remember anything um, of where they were, who they are in terms of where they came from. And so it's, I'm very privileged in that sense. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Um, and you're so right about you almost rather remember it, even though it was traumatic, because at least it gives you clues on how to heal yourself. Mm, yeah. Um, if you had to sum up those four years of India in one word or one feeling, what would it be? Hmm. I'd probably just say confusion. Like it's all just very confusing because I have all these bits of memories and I honestly don't know which time, which piece of these memories fit into that one timeline and so memories that I remember from this particular event and this particular event it's like well which one comes first and for me that is what confuses me um and so because there's no concrete evidence uh, of anything that I remember 
all I know is that it's genuine memory because I've always remembered the same events from day one. And my family, actually, my auntie, my mum's sister, um, did a great job at always um, voice recording on those little ca- re- uh, tape recorders um, of me when I was four years old, of re- um, talking about my experiences and talking about what I went through. So, you know, th- that being a proof from then to now I know that those memories are genuine and that you know I I know a lot of children and even adults when they've had trauma they remember bits and pieces and then whatever they don't remember because it's traumatic they sort of formulate this alternate timeline of what could have happened Um, and so that's no fault of anyone's it's it's just the way the brain works Um, so in order to for my family to then one day if I wanted to look for my family which I do I'd still have those pieces of evidence um, in recollecting those memories. Um, and I know that they'll be genuine because it was when I was just coming to Australia. So that was when it was fresh. Wow. And mm. your adoptive family sounds very supportive um, and very like smart in the way they went about that because that's like, wow. I mean, I wouldn't, yeah. I mean, I'm not an adoptive parent, but I wouldn't have thought to do that. So that, that's very smart. Um, yeah that's again like invaluable information that you could you know take to trauma therapy one day or whatever have you engaged in any sort of mental health therapy or like trauma therapy or um, recollection therapy or anything like that oh yeah like oh since day one like my mum has worked really hard in helping me you know develop a better self-confidence in terms of my mental stability um especially with um well children in general but also um in my case adopted kids like we have gone through so much life experience in such little time and so to for a kid's head is like trying to grasp it all is so overwhelming and so I would always you know, mum would always find me crying and always, you know, being sad and everything and wishing that I wasn't adopted and everything. Like these are things that, you know, not every adopted kid goes through, but it's quite a few adopted kids go through that almost like that withdrawal period and that um, almost like homesick feeling of like, I miss where I'm, where I was kind of thing, you know? And so for me, like I went through multiple and countless, you know, therapists or um you know children special people who specialized in children who are adopted or um uh people that I spoke to about my anxiety or my bad dreams and all that sort of stuff right through the point that I from I came here to even going to high school I still had moments where and even now like I still go and see um special um help in terms of you know a psychology or something like that just to keep me on track because and I'm not ashamed of it and no one should be ashamed of it especially in the brown community when we stigmatize everything so much in terms of and you know I hate the fact that we call it mental health because it's like what it is it's a brain disease you know we forget that like it's something that we can't control and when people say mental it's like you're it's this old-fashioned way of thinking it's like oh you're going insane you're crazy you know, I think what we should call it, or, or rather refer to, is it's a it's a it's a brain brain disorder. It's a brain problem. It's something that we can't control. That we've through experiences that we've had, it's developed in this way and it's manifested in itself. Um, and so I, I I wish that people would stop seeing it as a, um as such a bad thing and that people are going crazy. And it's okay to ask for help. 
um, it's even hard for me to go and ask for help, especially for my, you know, to my mom or even getting myself to that place of like, if I'm really deep in like a depression or anxiety or something, it, I'm, I eventually get there, but it takes time. Yeah. That's so awesome. And it's, yeah, if you're, if that's like, you know, something that's happened um, at a very early age, it's not something that's going to, yeah, you're going to like just heal in one spurt. So it's really awesome that you've just continually, um, you know, maintained the practice of seeking help and continuing that because it is, it's a life journey, right? It's not just a one-stop fix-all kind of situation. Um, yes. I'd love to talk a bit more about your adoptive family um, and your relationship with them, because it sounds like they were really supportive and they did all the right things. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, uh, I've, I've actually um, interviewed another adoptive South Asian um, person on this podcast and she didn't have such a lucky experience with her adoptive family. Um, they were supportive in many ways, but also very abusive in many other ways. So I'd love to hear about what your opinion is or like what the good things that your parents did and mm. advice for parents listening that are looking to adopt and what are the right and wrong things that um, mm. should be doing if you're adopting a child. So, well, uh, what I would say um, to young kids that are adopted in, in that whole journey of whether it's self-discovery or um, it's just being at peace with yourself of where you are, um because it's very very tricky and it's so hard and you grow up with multiple um identities I suppose because you're trying to be that perfect kid for your new family and then you're also trying to discover who you are for yourself um and then you're wearing a different person on yourself when you're with your friends and all that sort of stuff as as a kid as you're developing into you know a full human being I suppose um it's so multifaceted and so you know for, for young people that are listening and also parents who have adopted kids or are wanting to adopt kids I think I would definitely say like for the parents really make sure that you know what you're doing and why you're doing it because like having a child biologically it is a life commitment it is not something that is an accident it is not something that you can take lightly. And the, even more than ever, you are choosing. It's not, it's not that you accidentally got pregnant. It's you're choosing this life with this other human being that is not your own biologically and that you want to integrate them into your family. And I think it is so important that if you are, and whether you're brown, black, white, whatever, and you're adopting a child that is not from the same culture from you, you need to do the utmost best to educate yourself on where that child comes from, the country that they come from, and learn and to integrate that culture and their languages as much as you can into that child's life when they come into your new family. You know, I think up until the point where they can decide for themselves whether they want to continue on embracing the, um, or involving themselves in their own community or maybe they do want to involve in themselves in their own community, that is for them to choose. You don't get to choose that for them because I have seen countless adoptive parents totally disregard their culture, totally disregard the fact that they're adopted, you know, almost just um, 
formulate them into this pretty package and be like, oh, this is my child. But forget the fact that they have left their whole world. They, this child has left their whole family behind. This child has forgotten, you know, where they belong. They don't know where they belong. And to formulate this version of themselves so, to, so that they can be accommodating for your family, your way of speaking, your language and your culture, that is the most selfish thing that someone could do, in my opinion, as someone that's adopted. And so where I'm privileged is that my mum always encouraged it. And so from day one, so did my auntie, so did my grandma, um, so did even, you know, my mum's husband, you know, that everyone really just embraced it and allowed me to be myself and which is Indian and allowed me to feel those feelings of, you know, I hate, I hate being adopted or I hate being brown or I hate having parents that don't look like me. It's all these things that, you know, adoptive parents or people who want to adopt kids has to understand that these are the things that go through with having a child that's, you know, already developed trauma. You know, it's, it's so easy um, to forget that they're not, you know, your, your biological child sometimes because they're almost so much like yourself, you know, because they're your child. They, no matter how they come into this world, they're still your child. And so we still have to nurture those kids um, with and um, protect them and allow them to feel how they feel. And so I say to this young girl, if she's listening, like, it really, really sucks. And I hate the fact that they didn't support you when it mattered. Just remember that you can make your family with whoever you want. It doesn't have to necessarily be the family that adopted you. And if you want them to be, then you both together, all of you as a, as a unit can work together and make that a relationship. And if it's not able to mend, then you've got to work hard as well to make sure that you allow yourself to trust people and allow yourself to let people in because I know how hard that can be. So if people love you and they're for you, then allow them in. And so, you know, a lot of young kids that are adopted, they have trust, uh, they have problems with trust issues and all that, letting people love them. Um, and so, you know, when you believe it, allow them and you will find that you've got at least abundance of unconditional love around you. And so that can be your best friends. That can be a school teacher that you trust. That can be, you know, a neighbor that you've, you know, have a great meaningful connection with that understands you. And, you know, there's so many different avenues that you can make relationships with people that are on your side. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your parents. And that goes for children that are not adopted either. That, Sometimes your parents are biological and sometimes they don't understand you at all. <laughs> so I think it's just how it is and you just work with what you've got. But don't ever, you know, think that you're not valued and you're not important just because you don't feel valued and important to your parents. Um, so just stay strong and continue moving forward and make friends that are like-minded. Because I don't, it's so weird because there's so many adopted people out there but I don't have adopted friends at all. Like I honestly, I have one adopted friend and we're not that common when you actually are adopted. It's so strange. So yeah, it's just, they're everywhere, but they're not anywhere. It's really weird, but yeah. just stay positive. That's what I would say overall. Oh, that is some golden advice. That is like everything you said. Um, wow. And that's going to help 
whoever's listening. Um, so thank you for that. So I was just going to say, my gosh, you've been through such a journey in terms of cultural identity. Yeah. Like finding like the struggle of just um, learning about your culture from scratch um, and the effort that takes in a Western country where you're quite physically away from your culture and in a different yeah. So you've been through a lot in terms of, yeah, finding your cultural identity and hearing your journey really humbles me because as a young South Asian, first generation South Asian person living within a diaspora, I feel like we tend to run away from our culture. So I grew up doing the complete opposite thing that you did growing up. Um, You were trying to chase down your culture and um, embrace it. I was doing the opposite, completely trying my hardest to run away from it because I was embarrassed and ashamed of it. So that's really humbling to hear that story. It's so funny because, you know, being adopted and everything, I really just took my culture by the horns, I guess. And and that's very unique to me because everyone's different. Um, I don't know what other people do when um, in their circumstances of being adopted. But for me, I definitely did take it all the way and embraced it yeah there were of course moments you know where I was like oh god like I'm so different or like oh my god my culture is like so out there but you know it's I feel like because I I think the reason I love it so much is because it's such a natural reflection of me I'm so colorful I'm so out there I'm so extroverted and inherently the South Asian or even the Southeast Asian cultures are so inherently flamboyant. And whether you want to admit it, whether you don't, it is the fact. It is just, you look at it and all you see is color. And so, you know, when you're seeing your culture being represented as so colorful and then you're like, well, what's there to be ashamed of? I think it's like so beautiful that it's so in your face and it's so bright we need bright in the world you know and I think that is how I feel in my opinion I think that's literally how our people have existed for so long because our culture really does encompass all this happiness um and it really just takes it on and it's and it's not ashamed of it inherently but young people living in the west like yourself, who were born or not born in the West, um, with their own biological parents who are also South Asian, who most likely are immigrants. I think young people do take it for granted that they can speak their mother tongue and choose not to. They can, you know, understand the ins and outs of their customs and the traditions and choose to reflect away from it. you know, and I think it's it's so interesting because I would die to have that because I lost that opportunity of rebelling against my culture because I hadn't had that opportunity. My parents are white, you know, my whole family's white, except my adoptive sister. Um, and so I suppose it's just like, where else do I find something that I can relate to you know and 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 I taught myself from the ground up my own culture I I literally studied Hindi cinema I watched it all the time I can sing word for word every song that I love in Hindi and not being able to fully grasp or understand the language but like music is a 
international language. Anyone can love it and appreciate it regardless of it being understandable. And that's the beauty of, of, uh, of music. Um, and so when people are like, wow, you're more Indian than me, I can actually take offense to it because I'm, I, I don't believe I'm more Indian than anyone. I think we're all Indian. I think it, um, if I'm talking to an Indian South Asian person and they say that to me, I'm just like, well, you're just as Indian as I am. How you choose to express yourself and how out there and elaborately you choose to express yourself, that is your choice, but that doesn't make you less Indian. Um, and then on the other hand, I've had people that are like, oh, you're trying to be Indian. I'm like, I'm not trying to be Indian anything. I am Indian. I was born in India. I am from the motherland. I um, it's in my DNA, you know, I, I just don't understand how you, I can get double side of the coin and being on social media, I get that quite a lot. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so conflicted and I'm so confused by it because it's like, well, I'm not Indian enough to be Indian and then I'm not Western enough to be Western, you know? And so you're always finding that, I don't know, like problematic notion of like, God, where do I fit in, you know? And that's not even for adopted kids. That's for people of color in general, you know, trying to grasp where the hell they fit into. And obviously the mainstream norm is to, you know, appreciate and undertake and engulf all this westernization of European centers of beauty and lifestyle and desires and wants and needs, but not everyone wants those things. And I certainly am a reflection of the Western way of life because I, I sound Western, I, I dress Western, my mannerisms are obviously Western, but at the same time, I'm also very Indian and I appreciate my culture and I, and, and I also represent it, regardless of whether I'm mad about what's going on in my home country, I still represent it regardless of whether I want to or not. Um, and so that doesn't mean to take away that I am not allowed to dislike the things that happen over there. And so that people get confused. It's like, oh, you're so proud of it, but like, look at all the things that happen over there. I'm like, I'm not proud of that. People need to like remember that like there's good sides and bad sides to every country and no way in hell is there any country that is perfect. We've all had downfalls and we've all had ups. And so when I look at my culture, I think about the colors. I think about the music culture. I think about the amazing textiles and, and craftsmanship that has been around for centuries in India and around South Asia. So you look at the great things and that's what you should be proud of, not the fact that women are still not getting paid the same or, you know, women are still don't have the same rights or, you know, children are still on the streets and not having access to education. And those things are real, but you can't get it fixed in one day. And that doesn't mean to say you should hate where you come from and where you are. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a learning curve, but being adopted for me, I've always just repelled the whole idea of like becoming too westernized. I'm like the opposite. I'm just like, oh God, I don't want to become too Australian. Um, I'm just like, God, I sounded like so Aussie. Um, I, I'm dressing a little too Aussie for me. Like I just randomly, sometimes I'll just wear like a whole wig. I'll just have, I'll, be, I'll wear Indian clothes full on. Like I don't even care. You know, it's a Monday. I'm going to the grocery store at Woolies and people are looking at me and they're like, what are they doing here? Um, but I don't care. Cause like, why shouldn't I be allowed to wear what I want? I mean, to, you know, Western clothing has become so normalized that it's like, if it's anything else, it's out there. It's like, no, if you go to India, that's literally what people wear. Like it's, it's something that they, 
that is their regular lounge around clothes, you know? Um, so I think we should just be more integrative and, and, and understanding and accepting that people can wear what they like. And if it's a reflection of their culture, just because it's not a, a casual wear for you and it seems elaborate, doesn't mean to say their culture and customs don't consider that to be their loungewear and their and their comfort clothes. So it's it's different everywhere. That's awesome. And can I just say your Instagram is such a reflection of all of this? I, I actually think that weirdly being adopted makes you a really good advocate for embracing your culture because you've had to do that quite literally from scratch. And for me, coming across your page for the first time, I think was like 2018. Um, and seeing a brown person so um, un unapologetically embrace their culture was actually quite triggering for me because that was before I went through my whole cultural awakening process of really coming to embrace my skin and my culture. So seeing you like fully wearing the kurtas and all of that and the, the jewelry and, I was just like, what, what? But it inspired me and it inspires so many people. Um, how has your, yes, journey of cultural identity inspired what you do today um, with your Instagram? That's so funny that you said that because, you know, before even I started doing all of that stuff, I was so genuinely surprised that when I saw people on social media or Google embracing our culture the way that, you know, for example, I myself, or um, other creative, uh, DC creatives or South Asian creatives do. Um, I was generally ghost back too. I was like, what? People actually embrace being brown? Like I was also the same, like because we don't see that stuff in mainstream media of our own community and our own people fully engulfing it and like taking it on board and wanting to be a part of it. It really, it, it's so disgusting that we're actually surprised by it, that we actually could love our own selves that much and that hard. And it's because of this westernization of um, telling and, and through generations of oppression and, and, and whitewashing is that we've been told that it's not okay to embrace who we are. It's, 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 it's so far foreign, you know, to actually accept something that you're actually born as um other than if you're if you're not white do you know what I mean and so it's just like so crazy and I just like you I also was gobsmacked and that's what inspired me someone else inspired me to do what I do now and I somehow inspired you and we inspire other people so I think it's just a it's like a domino effect you know the more we see our own people in our community doing it the more we inspire unconsciously or consciously um, and the bigger our community force will get and we will just take the world on by storm. Like that is what I'm wanting. And so I just love that I've been able to do that for you. But I was also in the same boat. So I can totally, totally relate that it was pretty surprising to me too. Wow. That's so awesome. Massive yeah. of inspiration. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, but yeah like uh, to your question like integrating like my culture and everything it's just for me it just comes natural you know I I just do it it's it's not 
sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh God, I am a little bit more self-conscious than normal, you know, and we all get like that. And, and that can also reflect on how I'm feeling out towards my culture that day. So I do, I have a hate and love relationship with my culture too. I sometimes I'm just like, God, get away from me. I just don't want to like be associated with it today. I just, it's too much. Right. And then there's other days where I'm just like, oh my God, I love it. And I want to fully embrace it. You know, and so that's not even being a part of the South Asian community. I think that's just everyone in general. Sometimes we, sometimes our own selves can be too much for ourselves. And then when we look at something that we want to do, we're like, okay, that's more for a Thursday. I don't really particularly feel like it. And so I'm more like that as well with, you know, whether I'm wearing a kurta or something. Sometimes I do feel a little bit more self-conscious maybe on, on that particular day versus the next day, I, I don't even care. So it's, it's always a work in progress. I don't always feel, you know, up to taking my culture up, you know, by storm. Um, and then, but most days I do. And then other days I'm just like everyone else. I, I, I just want to feel like I'm blending in a little bit more and just becoming a part of the crowd. So I think everyone's like that. 100%. 100%. That's so fair. And, and me too. Um, I do want to talk about your amazing content creation, everything that you do on social media, but I forgot that there was a huge part of your life story we completely missed out on, which was your trip to India, which you took a couple of years ago, if I'm correct. Um, you one, one trip. Um, yeah, let's hear about that. And how, I'm assuming that was the first time you went since you were adopted, right? So that would have been a huge, like, I suppose, maybe culture shock. What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so I went to India in 2020 in January and that was literally the two days before I came back to Melbourne, coronavirus came to India. So I was in India when coronavirus landed like a bitch it landed like a plane and my mummy was like Ross like get out of there like the coronavirus and at the time nobody even knew what it was like we were just like coronavirus what's that um and so when I went okay so I just thought it was such a spontaneous trip too so I I was one, always wanted to go back to India always and I the last time I went was in 2007 when we adopted my sister so that was the last time I had been um and so I've always wanted to go back. And so I was planning on going, but then all of a sudden I just had something in me. It was like, I want to go. Like, I'm just going to drop everything I'm doing and I'm going to go. So I, I got my mom to help me book the flight, help me with everything. And as a gift from both um, my mom and her husband, um, we were able to put some stuff together and it became my 21st birthday gift. So it was really, really special. Um, and it was really, really awesome. So I felt so great and grateful that I was able to have that gift because they both knew how much it meant to me, um, especially my mum. So I booked the fly and I went to India. Now, looking in, at India from like the Western lens, because we all tend to do that with our own countries, if we're an immigrant or if we come from a diaspora, I thought that I knew quite a bit but when I went there it was so so different to actually standing on the soil of the motherland and actually experiencing it firsthand it is very different so don't get it twisted like I was thinking this 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 and this and then I get there I'm like oh my god it was literally nothing like I expected so I got there and it was quite like I don't know 
hard to put it. I think it was. It's becoming so modernized, and I was not expecting it to be be so modernized. And I did watch a lot of videos, obviously, of like young, you know, DC bloggers and stuff like that talking about their cities. And I knew that there was developed and everything in Mumbai, but I didn't know to what extent. And so it's definitely coming up. It is so insane how there is so much going on and. I felt so overwhelmed on the first day because everything was just happening all at once and I couldn't sleep because you know how you get jet lagged I stayed up all day like I got to India and I stayed up all day I did not want to miss a beat I went out to the um the the bay shore area thing there and um I think it was called Marina Pier or something I can't even remember I'm terrible with locations and I'm terrible with geography but it was it's one of those landmarks there in Mumbai and I went there with my friends and everything and I was just like oh my god this is like crazy I'm actually standing here like by myself with like people I've never met before like it was really really surreal and it didn't hit me until the third day and I was like okay now I actually feel like I'm here because you know when you have those daydream kind of feelings that you feel like you're not actually awake I had that for the past two days of being there and then I fully woke up by the third day um it was so amazing and and I love that you know there were women walking around and 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 they were doing their own thing and it was it was really great that people were talking to one another I did notice however though there was a lot more I mean it goes without saying but there was a lot more men on the streets than there were women and I did point that out to one of my friends and and he's also a boy and he didn't notice it until I brought it up he actually he 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 wasn't conscious of it um and it's like oh yeah you're you're actually right I think because I'm coming from the western lens we see so many women able to be having that ability to just go out and do what they want without having these rules set upon them and when I was in Mumbai, I was surprised of like, even it being so quite liberal in comparison to the whole of India, it was, you know, like I was still shocked that there were still not as many women as there were men. And so I that took me by surprise. And then just the whole cultural exchange, like people knew that I wasn't obviously a local, no matter how much I look Indian. Um, it's so strange because it's almost like you're a foreigner with, within your own culture it's so strange isn't it Adi? I, I don't know if you can relate to that but it was just so so weird I was like why do I feel so foreign <laughs> I feel the same way when I'm in Sri Lanka like it's exactly the same it's it's really funny like I'll be walking down the street and I just want to blend in because you know when you're a woman walking down the street in a South Asian country you attract a lot of attention um, and, you know, and even attention from other women, they just tend to, I feel like South Asian culture, especially the older generation, they feel like they have a right to judge you. And so there's this thing where personal boundaries don't exist and they can just sit you down. And they, and yeah. in Western culture is considered impolite, whereas in South Asian culture, there's nothing like that. So when you're walking down a street, especially as a woman, you tend to be stared down a lot. And... <laughs> My gosh, I, I try so hard to dress and just look the part just so that that won't happen. But no matter what you do, you somehow just stand out because they just, they can, it's like they can smell the foreignness off of you, like the whitewashing off of you. And it's really funny because I asked this hairdresser, because um, she just guessed it. She was like, oh, are you from Australia? And I was like, how do you know 
that? How does everyone know that? I was like, can someone please explain to me why? And she was like, it's your skin. You have like elastic skin and it doesn't look like it's like been burnt by like the hot Asian sun. I'm like, oh, maybe it's a skin thing. Maybe it's the way I dress. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it is a really strange sensation to feel like a foreigner within your own culture. Weird, 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 weird. And again, it just, it, it puts you back in that whole dilemma of like not feeling brown enough, not feeling white enough, not feeling like anything enough. Um, yeah. Lots of intracultural discrimination there, like our yeah. culture discriminating on our own culture. But exactly. Yeah. Um, and the most epic thing was the LGBT pride event. Um, I really loved being a part of that and I'm really privileged that I know a lovely person who runs one uh, a lot of those functions and those events within India um, and she happens to be a lovely acquaintance of mine and you know the fact that she is so vocal about expressing herself but also elevating and, and embracing other people in the community young people um to voice their opinions and to allow them to be themselves and everything it's such a great great thing to see and that for me made me feel the most out of my body experience because I honestly truly was so inspired by every single young person it almost made me emotional because I was like well, I walk around in Melbourne and not even think of twice about going about my day. But these young people in India who live in such a you know restrictive kind of cultural, societal environment, they still have a smile on their face and they still seem to not let it stop them and bring them down. And I love that. It was so, so um, inspiring to me. And I told all my friends that I said, you guys are literally so incredibly brave, you know, to be able to go out there, wear makeup, wear heels, um, be flamboyant the way you want to express yourself and still despite all the judgments, despite all the stares, despite all the criticism, you still go out there and, and you are happy to be yourself. And I honestly told that to all of them to, to their face because I was truly so inspired. And it is, it's so incredible. And it was humbling. And I felt I, that, that for me checked my privilege. I noticed then in that moment that I was like, wow, I'm incredibly lucky and I'm incredibly privileged that I get to have the life that I do and without any barriers. And my friends in India do everything they can to be themselves and despite everything that they have to go through on a regular or daily basis. So that's what I found the most humbling from my whole experience of being in India. That's so beautiful. And what a, how lucky are you to go back and visit the motherland, you know, like so many people I know even that, you know, aren't even adopted have not even gone once. So to be able to do that um, before all of this silly coronavirus stuff has happened and wrecked the traveling of the world, that's really, really lucky of you. Um, last question is just about your amazing content creation. Um, if you have not checked out Rosh's Instagram, it is at Desi Boy, so D-E-S-E-S, D-E-S-I-B-O-Y. I totally screwed that up, I'm sorry. Um, it's incredible. Like you do so well. I know you've already told me that you are a qualified makeup artist and photographer and damn, it really shows like your images are always just flawless, spick and span, lighting, 
the way you market yourself, it's so very impressive. Can you tell me what your message is as a content creator? What's the message you want to bring out there? Yes. Um, the Well, for me, uh, it, and it's for all of us, you know, I always make sure that I do my content very, very specific to the majority of the South Asian community because that's when I go into my insights that is who is majority looking at my content so I make sure that is appropriate that it's appropriate um that it's um there is no vulgar or anything I'm very almost very PG rated I try and be very appropriate on my profile um for those younger viewers but also I don't want my my branding or my content to be about anything else other than letting young people know that if I can do it, you can do it. And it sounds so cliche, but it truly is the truth. And um, and also the fact that allowing young people to see themselves reflected in the way that they some of these young kids would wish to be to see themselves as, or to be able to be allowed to express themselves in but not have the opportunity. And so, you know, having my content be created so specifically to that demographic of people, um, you know, gives me a lot of confidence knowing that, you know, I'm giving um, hope, but I'm also allowing young people to go out there for themselves and create what they want to create. Um, and in the last, I would say in the past two to three years, I've seen an uprise and serious boom in the South Asian community in terms of creativity. And it's absolutely sensational. When I started in 2014, there was barely anyone doing it. And now it's just blown the heck up and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. And, you know, it sounds so strange, but like, I'm also a part of that. You are also Adia, a part of that ever growing and ever changing and evolving community of young creative people in, in the South Asian diaspora and people living in the motherland. Because, you know, we don't see a lot of creative things embraced in our communities. It's, it's, not, sought, it's not highly sought after. It's not something that people want to admit that they like doing because obviously academia is a lot more preferred over creative arts of, of any sort. And you do dancing, you do acting, you do theater, you do everything that literally aunties in the motherland would be like, oh, what are you doing this for? You should be a doctor. You should be a lawyer. You should be an engineer. And you are literally like, ah, hell no, I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to be me. And I, and, and that's what I find inspiring as well, because you just go out there and do it. And because we live in Australia, I think it's fantastic that you also are a part of that ever growing and, you know, demanding, you know, era of young people of colour demanding to be seen and also represented on the Australian television and, and media. So you being a part of that, all those different sort of creative mediums is allowing other brown people to see themselves and be like, oh, I could do that as well. Like, yes, I, I'll just do this law degree just to please my parents, but then also I can succeed at being becoming a dancer. I can succeed at becoming a actor if I want to. And so, and, you know, in my situation, I'm a very creative person. So being a photographer and also a makeup artist, it's just, again, something that is not seen or 
or heard of a lot in our community. So we're all doing something to chip away at those old traditions. And that doesn't mean to say that we want to erase our culture. No, we just want to evolve it into something that is more inclusive and more inviting to everyone because not everyone in, that is brown is good at math. I'm awful at math. I can't add up. It's just the thing. I'm not great at science. And just because we're Asian, quote unquote, does not mean to say we have high skills in academia of anything there are everyone in in the community is different and some are great at academia and others are not as great so you've got to give people slack where you know their strong suits are in other areas oh so well said and thank you for that beautiful lovely compliment that was very very <laughs> appreciate that um it was the truth <laughs> <laughs> and you know what it's so true like if we want representation if you listening to this want representation then you better do something about it you know like do something to change like be the change you wish to see in the world that's from Gandhi one of us one of our people <laughs> um, and I love, I love the idea of um us being you know influences it, it's it's sort of like I'm just making up an analogy right now, but we're sort of like mirrors really to young South Asian people that come across brown paint and Daisy boy on Instagram or podcasts or whatever, and just think, Oh, that could be me, you know? And that's so powerful. And I think that that is a key factor in helping representation because when you see someone that's doing something that is within your wildest dreams, then you all of a sudden have proof that it might work out for you. And for people like you and I, Rosh, we didn't have much proof growing up. We didn't have proof. And so the momentum that it took for us to start these careers, that these creative careers that we're pursuing now takes twice as much momentum and energy and effort that it would someone seeing our profiles today and having that proof and starting a career based on that. So we've done the hard yards here. <laughs> and yes, that's the next generation can follow. Yeah. Yes. What that's What advice sure. would you give to young people that look up to you and want to follow a similar path in terms of being an influencer online on in the social media realm? Yeah. Um. Honestly, I would just say, like for me anyway, as well, like just make sure that. You, you always have a backup plan in anything, in anything you want to do, make sure you've got a plan B because no matter how hard you work and how successful you become, everything can come to an end and it sounds so dramatic, but it truly is the truth. Um, so just make sure, especially with social media, it can be so fickle. It can be so, you know, with this whole, you know, meme culture or with this whole viral culture, it, you, you, you're in the spotlight for a second and then you're gone, you know, and then where are you then, you know? So make sure that you, if you're making something, it is something that's going to be concrete and substantial, that it's going to be um, everlasting, I suppose, something that is always needing in the market. You know, if you see a niche that is not so big yet and you think that you could really benefit or profit off of or create something out of it do it you know and you could be the starting change of that particular niche and then you're the empire of that particular community I suppose no um like the gaming community for instance you know gaming obviously is worldwide loved and but youtuber like PewDiePie he obviously cultivated that whole concept of videoing yourself while playing a video game 
you know, and everyone after him wanted to be a part of that community and cultivate that and be that that driving force that, oh, you should do this as well because it's fun, you know? Um, and then, hey, slip in a bit of a job in there aspect of it as well because that's what it's become. It's become a business. Um, so I suppose if you can find something in your avenue or of interest, just continue to do the things that you love. Um, make sure that your, your, your motivation is positive. Don't let social media and it's all it's toxic stuff get in the way of your true mission which is obviously to be creative and create I have moments where I compare myself a lot on social media that's why I went off social media for two months I needed a cleanse it's okay to take a break of social media too as well as um enjoying it we've also got to have a break from it so yeah, I would just say continue creating what you love and just don't give up so easily. It is hard work. It's not going to, you're not going to become successful overnight. And if you do make sure that it's everlasting because, you know, it, it just goes by so quick. It, you either, you either work hard at it as long as we have, or you've got it there in, in five minutes of fame. And then you're like gone in like a, a week or something. So that's just how the industry is. So you just have to focus on what you want and go for it. And, and it's, and you know what, people forget that like people say, Oh, like becoming a doctor or a lawyer is like so hard work and you got to study for years and everything, but also what we do in the creative space is just a so damn hard and it's never nearly as appreciated or undervalued un, uh, as what everyone else does in those fields. Like being a dancer is incredibly hard. I did dance. I would know. Adi does dancing. She's a professional dancer. She does it as a, her passion, her career, her hobby. And I just think people forget how much time, effort and money and resources go into those sort of creative avenues. And it's always in, um, unappreciated and in, invalidated. Um, and people keep saying it's not a real career. It is a real career. How do you think people on TV become on TV? Because they're fantastic at what they do it's they're not just actors because they're born acting like I don't understand how that works you know we, we can appreciate and appropriate these people and their craft but we don't embrace it when our own children want to do those things or be those things I don't understand you know we'll buy their movies and stuff but it's like oh but my kid won't be doing that half those actors if they do become successful earn more money than becoming a, a doctor or a lawyer anyway so if you're all about that money then you should be letting your kids do these fields because they can actually become very, very successful. And I hate the fact that also that becoming a doctor is a guarantee. Just because you study a course, it is not guaranteed that you're going to become a fantastic doctor. Same with becoming a lawyer or an engineer. So we have to change our mindset, especially in our community. Nothing is guaranteed just because it's academic. Oh my gosh, that was unbelievable cherry the drop the mic Rosh. drop the mic <laughs> drop the mic I was like screaming I was on mute but I was screaming and I was like heck yes <laughs> everything you said so well articulated I could not emphasize that more um oh my goodness oh before I end this podcast I just want to say congratulations on 10k oh 10k Rosh just made it to 10k on his Instagram at Daisy Boy and that is so well deserved and 
oh, just the quality of the, the value that you provide through your content. So well-deserved. You work so hard for this and damn right. Damn right. Yes, you do. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. How does that feel? Oh, it, oh, it feels great. And, you know, obviously I've been doing this Instagram I call it Instagram things. Other people call it every, every other thing, but I just call it a thing. I don't know why. So this Instagram thing's in 2014. And so like working so hard on building this platform and also creating content and making a brand and all that. I mean, it's so much fun, but at the same time, it's incredibly hard work and time consuming as you would know. And so, you know, getting to this number is obviously a great milestone, but also I don't let it consume me either. You know, it's, it's, it is, a wonderful thing and it's a great figure to look at but if you don't keep working hard at it, it it'll end up being meaning nothing so I think it's 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 wonderful that so many people can in some ways or many ways resonate with what I do with my content I don't necessarily want them to feel like they have to idolize me or want to be like me it's focus on the content always focus on what it, the message is of the work that I do and that is what I'm I'm hoping that people get out of what I do on social media it's not to look at me and then want to emulate what I do because I'm obviously not perfect and a lot of what bugs me about a lot of social media people is like they want people to emulate their characters or their traits or everything and it's like well people are different you know make it about your art, make it about your content and let people figure it out for themselves, whether they want to, you know, take it on board and, and, and do with what they will sort of thing. Um, so same with my content, you know, if you, if you love a makeup look, do it, don't do it because I've done it, do it because you want to do it, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, as long as it inspires people and gets people out there to be creative, that's all I, I can ask for. I love that. And you're so very modest. Um, another congratulations is in a way, though, because you just are about to be moving into your own apartment. So things are happening for you, Rush, like 10K, moving into your own apartment. You have a Got a puppy. puppy. <laughs> He's the oh, my gosh. Congratulations on everything that you're doing. And I wish you nothing but the best for the journey that is to come. And yeah, we'll have to catch up soon and have have a bit of a party. <laughs> I'll invite you over to the house. Woo! We'll have a party. We'll have like a dance party 101. We're like you and me, we'll do like an Instagram reel video and we can coordinate, we can coordinate a dance routine. Oh That's God. what we can do. We you hear it live on brown paint. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's what I'm so excited. And like, I'm so excited to do that with you because you're a phenomenal dancer. I love the way you dance. And so, yeah, it'd be so much fun to collaborate with you on a video like that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to be on your platform, be on your creative podcast. I think it's fantastic that you do this. You give brown people a safe space to be themselves and you are doing so, so well. And I'm so proud of you with all your endeavors. And, you know, obviously, this, you know, you, you did this, um, podcast on me but I want to make sure that I'm letting you know that I'm super grateful and that I'm also proud of you just as much because you're my friend too okay so um, just keep creating being yourself um, I, I can't wait to see you on the silver screen one day that is what I'm hoping I'm like girl when I see you on the IMAX 4k tv screen I'm gonna be like I know that bitch and then everyone will be like who and then I'll be like I know her and then I'll show selfies of you and me together before you was famous and oh it'll be the whole thing <laughs> can you tell I'm a fan of her 
Hands of each other. That's so cute. Oh, thank you so much, Josh. And thanks so much for just being so open and vulnerable and just, you know, going diving really deep on your adopted story too. That was a lot, you know. So yeah. thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. And it's gonna help someone listening out there. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. <laughs>